Welcome to Behind the Curtain Project. I'm your host, Kelly Voss. Together, we have a backstage pass, and we're going to take a glimpse into what is actually going on behind the curtain of people's lives. Welcome, everybody, to Behind the Curtain podcast project. Today is a very special day because I have a very special guest. I have my sister, Rebecca, with us. Say hello. Hello. Thank you so much, Becky. I'm probably going to just say Becky because I'm used to calling you that, Becca Boo, (laughs) all those words. I know you got older, you liked Rebecca better because it's more grown up. (laughs) Yes we kind of get stuck in our way sometimes. So we'll just do what comes natural for me. If that's okay with you. Is that good? Yes. Okay. All right. So thank you so much for being here today. Um, This is a a super important topic to talk about. And I'm, I'm really, really grateful and honored that you have given me permission to, you know, talk about this and for you to open up your heart and share your story. Because I think it's, it's one that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people deal with this and probably way more than they realize. I I know that there was a period of time I suffered with it and, but you, you kind of had some, some deep struggles. So today you're going to share your story of alcoholism and how that affected your life and kind of what took you to that, to places that were pretty, dark and heavy. And and then, you know, how you've kind of recovered and come out of that. And it's actually, this is a beautiful, inspiring story. But if you don't mind, if you could just kind of start out with, with telling us how, where in your mind you felt that things started to change where you saw the alcohol becoming a problem. Okay. Well, first, I'd like to say that my sober date is October the 13th, 2019. And that is, awesome. from, that is from alcohol. You know, we grew up in a, in a very religious, strict home. Our parents were, they were kind of hands off for us. I think it's important that everybody know that I had my first drink of, of alcohol when I was probably about eight or nine years old very young, very young in in life. It was when uh, our brother, one of our brothers, I don't know if I'm allowed to say their names, but um, well, don't (laughs) some mad dog 2020 from the food town, not the mad dog. (laughs) You know, I think that the, the first drink is usually the one that is, is the most important because it's, it's what, you feel and it's that feeling that you continue to chase, you know, just that feeling of, you know, I mean, a lot of people in recovery programs will be, will tell you that, you know, we love to drink. I mean, it was fun. It was fun until it wasn't. So I was pretty young when I heard my first drink, when I got my, my first blackout drunk was when I was summer of between the ninth and the 10th grade. 
And I just, I knew I was getting drunk that night. I went in, I went straight for the, the liquor bottle and I turned it up and I got blacked out drunk. I didn't drink every single weekend at that point. I think after that one, I was like, I'm never doing that again because that was awful. The final, the thing we always say. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, you know, but on and off through, through high school, I, you know, I would drink at my friend's house and, you know, it was always fun. It was always, you know, what are we, where are we going? Where, what are we drinking? Who are we drinking with? But then, you know, I got, got, I graduated high school, got married very young and just started having babies. You know, having babies was, was what I was meant to do. It's what I always felt like I was meant to do. And, you know, they were my life. I didn't drink every day at this point. You know, I, I didn't drink during my pregnancies. I was able to, you know, we just kept it at holidays and birthdays and special occasions and, and things like that. But every time I would drink, it would turn bad. A lot of people said that I was not a happy drunk. I was a angry drunk. Now, let me ask you a question. So you said every time that I would drink, it would turn bad. Is that even during like a holiday party and things like that you're talking about? Is that, is that a pattern you recognized? You recognize now, but even back then, was it something that happened just like a social event or a Christmas party? Was, was that happening? I would say that 90% of the time, most holidays or any time that I would drink, it would go to a negative place by the end of the night. So it was always in excess. It was always in excess. Yes. And of course I didn't acknowledge it then because the next day, even though I would wake up, I wouldn't know what had happened, what I'd done. It was just drinking. That's what you did when you drank. You, you drank till you blacked out and you paid the consequences when you woke up the next day. You, you said you were sorry and you uh, moved on. The, that was just the ritual of it. Okay. So 2008 came and then, you know, there was a lot of uh, financial struggles. My husband at the time had lost his job. There was a lot of things that were going on, family dynamics that were kind of forcing me to reevaluate being a stay-at-home mom with the kids. And so I decided to go back to school and I decided to go back and in 2012 is when I graduated from my assisting program and I got a job right out of that. And at that point in time, that's when I started to probably become a everyday drinker. It um, wasn't just special occasions anymore. So this happened when you graduated from your dental? Yes. Your dental job, your dental, um, you got certified. Yes. Okay. Got it. Okay. And I think the reason why the drinking picked up was because I was, I was stressed out. The place that had hired me, I, you know, I was straight out of school. I didn't know anything except for what I'd learned in school. I'm a hands-on learner and I was working for my first dentist was very high maintenance lady. So, mm -hmm. You know, so I was looking forward to a drink every time I got off work. It was, where was I going to get my, my drink? And, you know, so I would come home and I would drink, go to work, drink, go to work. About a year after that, it was 2013, had my 20th high school reunion. And at that reunion, I um, 
you know, started to reconnect with a fella that I went to school with back when I was, you know, in high school. Okay, before we go there, I want to back up just a sec, because you made a comment that caught my attention. You, you said, I would just want to come home and get the drink, you know, just to kind of unwind and to, you know, end, end the day. Your previous statement was every time I would drink, I would end up blackout drunk. Was this also happening when you were just coming home to have that drink at night? Was, were, was it going to excess or was it just at this point, you know, okay, it took the edge off? So at this point, it was, I wasn't drinking to blackout. I was just drinking to help me sleep. Got so it, it okay. was just the kind of the come home, drink, unwind, and go to sleep so I could get up and do it all again the next day. But this is where the pattern of everyday drinking has is now has started. That is correct. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so thank you. I just, I wanted to make sure that I understood that because that's p- patterns are everything. Yeah. And so we it's, can recognize those. It's definitely important. So in this event in 2013 was kind of a, a catapult into a series of events. I went to my high school reunion. It was my 20th reunion. And I reconnected with a fella that I used to go to school with. We began to talk every single day, texting. And he was kind of a, like I could vent to him. I I used him. He was a friend, but it began, their feelings began to develop. And I was, you know, married. He was married. And we knew we weren't supposed to be talking, but we were. So a year of that went by and everything kind of came out into the open about the relationship with him. And then that's when I ended up getting a divorce and going our separate ways between the girl's dad and myself. So right after that, and of course, at this point, you, you got to remember, I'm, I'm drinking every day. Now I'm not blacking out. I've got it under control or so I think but I still am drinking every day. I go straight from that relationship into a three and a half year relationship with another guy. So now at this point in time, you're, I'm, I'm seeing codependency showing up, you know, like I have to have somebody at all times. I did not realize that then, but I do see the pattern in it. Now that relationship ended in a, in a pretty bad night. There was obviously drinking involved. We, you know, he was just my drinking buddy. And for three and a half years, we ended up buying a house together. We were engaged. We were going to get married. And one night, just everything went south and there was violence in the home, which then brought cops into the relationship. And that ended. So three days later, and this is in 2018 now, we're in 2018, July, three days after that relationship ended violently, my friend Katie died. So she was a really good friend of mine. She um, died by a, um, an overdose of medication and she drowned in her bathtub. So, you know, at this point in time now, I've, I've just lost this relationship. I'm I'm very deep into my alcoholism. My friend dies. I'm almost to the point to where life isn't even important to me anymore. Um, 
I guess it was more like a few weeks after that. I then reconnected with another guy from my past and he became my new drinking buddy. He was ready to pick up all the pieces of my broken relationship. He was ready to pick up the pieces of my friend's death. He had that, that liquor bottle right at my mouth, <laughs> ready to go. He was going to yeah, help okay. me drink my woes away. My family ended up having, this was at the end of August, my family came together because I was, I was drinking um, and driving. I was not going to work. I just was in the thralls of it all. I was depressed. I was sad. I was mad. And just so, so many things were going on. And alcohol was my solution at that point. So my family started seeing the signs, started noticing that help was in order. So they did a, an intervention on me. This episode of Behind the Curtain Project is brought to you by Phoenix Plumbing. Servicing all of your commercial plumbing needs in the greater Charlotte area. Licensed in North and South Carolina. Phoenix Plumbing has been bringing you some of your favorite restaurants since 2003. Specializing in large and small-scale commercial kitchens, upfits, and retail spaces. Send your plans or designs to phoenixplbg at gmail.com and get your quote today. So before we get a little bit ahead of the game, I want to slow down a little bit because details, I think, are everything. And I was kind of, I mean, I remember being a part of that. And things, you're fast forwarding the story a little bit and that's fine. But what, what I really want you to talk about is during that time frame of bad relationship ended with the cops and then your, your friend dying and then you jumping straight into another relationship. What was happening with your girls and your, your relationship there? What, you know, can you talk a little bit about how that was affected? Sure. So when the divorce happened, of course, the kids were, were very shocked. They didn't know anything was wrong. They didn't know anything was going on. There had been, you know, turmoil in the house already. But Taylor decided to go live with her dad. And the two little girls decided to stay with me. They, at, at this point in time, you know, in my mind, I really truly thought when I got into the relationship, the three and a half year relationship, I truly felt like I was doing what was best for the girls by trying to be in a a normal relationship and try to keep everything under control. I was trying to buy a house and, you know, have a place for them to come live. Yeah. I mean, I remember that when, cause I sold you the house. <laughs> and so I was a part of that. And it, the, the, the girls were very excited. The two younger ones were very excited because they were going to have their own room. And, you know, it was a really cool space and he had kids and you guys were going to kind of bring those two worlds together. So it was a very exciting time. Even though you were, you know, heavily drinking, things were, were happy. So I, I remember that very clearly. And uh, so that of course ended but so what happened after, you know, that where the girls go? Yeah. So the youngest ended up staying at mom and dad's and okay. Zoe came with me there. She didn't stay very long because 
of the alcohol use between the two of uh, two of us it was it was hard on her to to watch every day she was homeschooling herself at the time and she would have to be home when he would come home and um, immediately go straight and start you know drinking so she did not stay with us very long so there was a lot of tension and turmoil between me and the girls um, taylor was upset with me because she felt like i was putting relationships with men um, in front of my daughters. But in my mind, I was truly just trying to do the right thing and make a home for them and, and make a life and, and right. try to be normal. But when Good when intentions. you have alcohol running your life, needless to say, normal is, is not the word for it. <laughs> yeah. And at this point, you wouldn't even have been able to define that alcohol was running your life because you were buying a house and things were happy and things were good. And so, yeah, made a turn for the worst mm -hmm. um, with Zoe. Right. So, you know, the, the girls were, they were pretty much on their own between the weekends at their dad's house and uh, balance in school. Mom and dad really stepped up to the plate and took care of my children during this time. And I do recognize it now that, you know, I was choosing that man over my daughters. But again, I was truly believing that I was in the end, it was all going to work out and they were going to jump on board and we were all going to be this big, happy family. I mean, that was where my heart was. You never did anything maliciously to try to harm or hurt your children. Yeah. <laughs> you, were, you were working out of good intentions, of course. Right. And um, right. So things just continued to spiral. Yes. Okay. So at this point of the story, let's pick back up with the third guy who was there to pick you up out of the, mm -hmm. the gutter, you know, he, your shattered heart with your loss of your friend yes. and all that. And, and uh, so he came in and he was, you know, he was willing to be there for me. And, but then, you know, after I believe it was a, a really bad night out, I ended up going out. I got drunk at the end of a bar. I had to be brought home by a, a police officer who, who brought me home. And when I woke up the next day, I didn't know where my keys were. I had no idea where my car was. I didn't know where my purse was. I didn't know where anything was. I ended up having to track all of that down, retrace my steps. Uh, mom helped me and we got our car home. And at this point, this is when the family starting to really see my downward spirals, you know, like um, I'm, I'm just, taking risk. I'm drinking and driving. It's, it's just a lot of bad things. I had told Zoe I was going to the gym and after work one day, and instead I went over to the, the new guy's house and I drank. And when I came home, I was, I just said, I'm just want to go to bed. And when I went, I went to bed and they couldn't wake me back up. So it was, it was on the verge of either call an ambulance to come see if I'm even alive or do an intervention. So the next morning um, I get up and everybody's okay. And I'm thinking to myself, now I know last night was not good. So someone's got to say something about this. And I was expecting that. When you couldn't wake up, I remember this. <laughs> Mom had, you know, a complete freak out. What actually ended up happening? They did get you awake. And I think they 
force fed you some toast or something. And they realized, you know, this was just complete intoxication. And I believe they wanted to take you to the hospital that night, but you, I think had were manageable enough to say, I am okay. If, and so, but you knew when you woke up the next morning, the repercussions were going to be pretty, they were going to be pretty severe, pretty severe. Yeah. You were supposed to be at the gym. Right. And, and I come (laughs) home blacked out drunk. I don't even remember coming home. So little by little, um, and that as that morning and day progressed, more and more of the family started showing up at the house. And at that point in time, I'm like, okay, I know something's about to go down. This isn't normal for everyone to be here. So the intervention took place. People cried, uh, begged me to please go get help. And I agreed. I knew at that point in time that if, if I didn't get help, then I was probably going to die. I wanted help but I didn't know how to get it, you know? And so uh, long story short and how all this happened, I ended up um, at, I believe the same place you ended up in Riley in your story, you know, but I, I was taken there in the back of a paddy wagon, three and a half hours. Oh, yay. Three and a half hour drive. Love the the paddy wagon. (laughs) Felt like a criminal, but you know, I had said that I didn't care if I lived and that, you know, I, I just would, I'd rather just die than to do this anymore. You know, I just didn't want to do life anymore. But once I got there and got checked in, I, and of course they start giving you medication to help you detox. I really tried to embrace that as a new beginning. I really truly wanted to stop drinking at that point in time. Before we talk about that, I was, can we back up just a little bit? Because I remember the intervention and when that happened. And I think it's important for people to understand that there were so many things before that night that you came home from the the gym that were so alarming and so scary that it really had progressed you know, on the, from the family side of things, you know, things had really progressed. I mean, I personally was a part of an evening because I want to talk about the relationships, because again, you were in a abusive relationship with a very controlling person. And there's just so much more that you, that was actually after the intervention. Was yes. it? Okay. So I've got this all completely no, wrong. No, I mean, it's, Which, it's close. It comes next. But Okay. So, so that's why these things get talked out. Amanda had to keep me straight mm-hmm. on mine because I was like losing the details. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't realize that that was after yes. you had been admitted to the um, good old mental right. ward. Yep. And they start feeding you medications. So, (laughs) so I tried to embrace it. And I had, I had told this recent person that I was in this relationship with uh, um, that I was going to get sober and I was going to go do this rehab. And that if he couldn't be supportive of that, then he couldn't be in my life. And okay. So during the time that I was there, we, you know, I talked to my kids, I talked to mom, I talked to him. I talked to a lot of people while I was there and I tried to embrace it. And I really did. You know, I went to the meetings, I wrote in my journal, I, you know, had all of these 
apology letters to my kids and, you know, life was going to be different when I got out. So I, I had spent seven days there. When I came home, I started going to a program of recovery. It's a 12-step program of recovery. And I stayed sober for about three months after that. Let's see, August, September, October, November. Yeah, because by Christmas, I was drinking again. While you were in rehab, what was the biggest takeaway? Because obviously you have so many now, but was what was one of the ahas for you while you were in rehab as far as what had brought you to that point and what was the one thing that you were coming home to implement? Obviously the 12-step the um, program, but also what else was, if anything, was there that you were like, okay, I know now I'm doing this and I have to stop in order to get better. Was there anything that you remember? Well, let's just say that the biggest thing that I got out of it was the program of recovery. The aha moment wasn't really like a moment. It was more of, I know I need help, so I better do what they're telling me to do. And what they were telling me to do was as soon as I go home, find a group of recovery to join. So, and at this point, would you say that you were a confessed alcoholic? Like you, you kind of felt like I, Hey, I'm, I am an alcoholic. Or were you just kind of like, Oh, I can get this back under, I know I can control this. At this point in time, I feel like it was more of depression. And that's, that's okay. what I took out of that was that I was drinking because I was depressed. And if I could okay. get the depression under control, then I could get the drinking under control. So before I left there, they had put me on um, an antidepressant and that was going to make me happy again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good, old Good old pills. So I did. I started taking them. I started doing the program. I got my first sponsor in the program because that's what the program does. You get a sponsor and they start helping you work the, the program. Well, uh, by Christmas time, I had succumbed back to the drink again. The person that I was with, he said he was supportive. He said he, he was proud of me. He came to a couple of, of meetings with me. But overall, you know, it got where he wasn't drinking around me and then a little bit of drinking around me and then a little bit more drinking around me. And then it was like, you really don't need this. You're not an alcoholic. Come on, come on, take a drink, take a drink. It's not his fault. I'm not blaming him. But right, by but. Christmas, I was drinking again. You know, at that point in time, I moved out again with him. We were living in cars. We were living week to week in hotel rooms. We were selling our plasma for money to buy alcohol. And we finally... Well, I was finally able to get a couple of loans so that we could rent an, a, um, a trailer to go live in. This was at the beginning of 2019, maybe around April or May. Or no, I'm sorry. It was around, um, it was around March and April. And so we had only been in this place for a, a little while. And we hadn't been there very long. And, you know, drinking every day... A lot of a lot of alcohol use, a lot of drug use. Take a bow. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Behind the Curtain Project. 